Welcome to No Higher Calling Family. I'm Simeon. And I'm Brittany. As we seek to reflect Christ in our marriage and parent our children in a world defined by compounded confusion, we desire to anchor our hearts to the truths of God's Word. Join us on our journey. We hope to encourage you in your calling and equip you to pass truth to the next generation. Hello and welcome to the No Higher Calling family episodes. Here we are again, and today we're doing a little bit of a Q&A, so it'll be a little bit different, but uh, Brittany requested some questions from people on social media, and we took some of those questions, and we're going to go through them. So I am joined by Brittany today, or she is joined, I am joined, joining her, something to that effect, <laughs> and um, we're looking forward to getting into some of the questions. So we've done a couple Q&As in the past. Um, maybe I'll try to link some of those down in the comments, but it's been a little while. These are always fun. Um, and we don't do them often just because we have a lot of other content that we'll like to get to. I know last month we did Simplifying Life. We heard some good stuff um, from that. And then we have some other couple family marriage topics coming up in the next few months. We'll talk about um, just teamwork in a marriage. And we're going to talk about postpartum. We're going to talk about budgeting. Those are just some few things kind of up and coming um, but though we probably aren't going to do another Q and a for a while, if you have topic suggestions, we would love to hear that we have a long list. So we have plenty to draw from if you don't suggest. Um, but a lot of people are really loving these episodes and we're encouraged to hear that because, um, we really have a heart for the family and encouraging you and equipping you. So let us know how we can best do that. Um, feel free to send me an email at no higher calling podcast at gmail.com. You can always engage with me on Instagram and no higher calling underscore. Um, but yeah, we're going to jump into some questions that I was given and we'll just try to answer them uh, based on our life and our marriage and our current season and uh, what God is doing in our lives. And then you can just sit back and enjoy with uh, your husband as you listen in and uh, maybe see what your answers to these questions would be. All right. So the first one, let's tackle this. When do we do our Bible time with so many kids? Um, you just have to make time for that one. And that's for us, for me, uh, I get up early. Um, I get up at 6am every day, or at least I try to, since the baby's been born, that's been more and more difficult, I feel like. But, um, the, yeah, I get up at six o'clock every morning and then I, I read my Bible before I get a shower or do anything else. And then, um, I get the kids up before, right before I slip into the shower and that's when Brittany gets up and you yeah, do yours later on. They're not supposed to get up before seven. Right. So that's kind of why you've carved out that morning time. Usually we have a, a couple little pitter patters still in the hall. And yeah. They, they poke their heads out knowing the answer is going to be no. And they ask the question anyway. And <laughs> I say, Nope, go back to bed and I'll see you in a little bit. And um, yeah, but that's, that's worked out well for us at some point, you know, we've got little kids. So if we have a teenager that has to get up and go to work or something, it may not work anymore. But and you didn't always get up early. I mean, not necessarily like you didn't have to get up at six every day to right. read. But as our kids have gotten a little older, and we have early risers too. I mean, it might it might have worked to get up later, but especially Knox. I mean, he's up crack of dawn. So, yeah. um, for me, this varies really depending on my season. Um, if I'm in a season where I'm not getting a lot of sleep, then I usually do my Bible reading time in the afternoon. I have carved out a chunk of time during our day that is our quiet time. And that doesn't necessarily mean devotional time. That just means quiet. <laughs> so the kids are sleeping or reading or doing a quiet activity. If I have not done my devotion yet for the day, that is what 
that's usually when it happens. Um, sometimes it is in the evening before I go to bed. Um, if it is a season where I'm resting more then I prefer to do it first thing in the morning. Um, but it, it varies. And then I've also found for myself personally, just being the stay at home mama, um, trying to get pieces of God's word throughout my day is really helpful for me because I may not have 30 minutes or 45 minutes time chunk to just set aside. But if I'm getting a little bit here, a little bit there through different, you know, things, whether it's our family Bible time at breakfast or, um, you know, reading with the kids or just reading a verse just throughout my day as I'm out and about, that has really been an encouragement to me just to get it in where I can. Okay. Total topic switch, but someone asked, what are the three best things you have done for your marriage? So, you know, goodness, three best things we've done for our marriage. Um, there's a, a lot of things that we've done to try to strengthen and grow our marriage. But when we came to it, we really were like, well, why three, um, you know, kind of trying to come up with three. And then we're like, well, you know, let's just talk about the emphasis of connecting, you know, God made us in his image. Um, and God is a triune being God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. And in his image, he made us triune beings in the sense that we have spirit, soul, and body. Um, so we have a physical aspect, an emotional aspect, which is um, that soul, the intellect, our emotion and will, and our spirit, which is the part of us that lives on forever. So we were talking about that. Okay, let's bring that into this question. So we just have a quick three best things that we've done for our marriage. We've divided it into those three, um, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. We did an episode a while back. Um that kind of had to do with this particular topic. It was talking about being one in spirit, soul, and body, I believe is what we talked about. But yeah, so this, this concept of our marriage being um, working on all three of those things. And so we have tried really hard to um, put a, put an emphasis on the spiritual things, obviously first. And that is simple. I mean, basic down to what did you, what Bible, what book of the Bible are you reading about right now in your devotions to going to church on a regular basis together? We always sit together if at all possible. Now I understand if you're the pastor of the church or <laughs> you're a pianist anymore. or something, yeah. it's not something that you can always do. Um, but we try to sit together as a family as much as we possibly can. Um, and even the conversation in the car on the way to, and on the way from church is generally about what the pastor had to say, or in the case where I'm preaching, it's how the service went today. And that kind of thing. Um, that was the best message I ever heard ever <laughs> since last. Summer. I haven't heard that yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, just so you're starting with the spiritual things and then obviously there's the, the mental, um, or what we might call the, the soul, emotional, emotional yeah. the mental your as pastor Sexton would say, your intellect, your emotion and your will. Um, and that, that one is probably the hardest for most men to, to, to deal with. I think we, I shouldn't say most men, almost no men have spiritual leadership in their home, but Christian men tend to at least have some pretense of uh, spiritual leadership in the home. But the, the mental and emotional side, I think we men struggle more with, you might be able to touch on that a bit better than I could, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, women just tend to be more emotional um, and can be more feeling led than men. So there's just a couple things here. One you know, for the husband, you have really had to learn to 
turn off the logic switch <laughs> and turn on the Brittany just needs a hug. Yeah. Or she just needs to cry for no apparent reason, which makes zero sense to you, but it makes me feel better. Um, so we've had to kind of navigate through, and again, really all this comes down to in marriage. And we talked about this a lot on the episode we did not too long ago, um, talking about the book Cherish by Gary Chapman. But just when you're cherishing your spouse, um, you're putting them and their needs above you. So in yeah. this emotional aspect, just trying to connect with the other person where they're at. And we were talking before we did this, started this, that um, one way that we can do that better is when we are communicating just that when we're in tune with each other yeah. throughout the day, I'm checking, you know, if he's gone, we're still, you know, texting here and there, or you give a rundown, you know, how was your day? What happened today? Like genuinely being interested in the other person's day. That way I know if he comes home with slumped shoulders and, you know, he tells me, how was your day? Well, you know, I talked to so-and-so and it didn't go well, or I had a bad phone call or whatever. That immediately lets me know things that I need to be preparing in my own heart to be an encouragement to him or vice versa. If he comes in and sees that like, wow, I've had a stressful day with the kids. You can connect in that emotional way that helping with each other's just feelings and really trying to always bring the other one up, always encourage the other one. I think one thing I would say, since the question is something that we've done to help our marriage in these areas, focusing on spirit, I think when we realized that we, because we are one in marriage, are accountable for one another's spiritual condition. That doesn't mean that we lord over one another, but it's my job to encourage you spiritually. It's my job to help you mentally. It's my job to help you physically. Um, once I think we, we've got a grasp on that, that it's not your job to take care of you. It's my job to take care of you and your job to take care of me. That concept, it kind of turns, it kind of, well, honestly, it helps the marriage in ways that I can't even really explain. Um, and it helps me then to also be a much more sensitive than I naturally would be to certain things. That doesn't mean I'm great at it. Um, but trying genuinely trying to make sure not that I'm always incredibly sensitive to all of your emotional needs because I can't read your mind, <laughs> but um, that I want to be. And I think that's a big portion of it yeah. is most women and even men as well, because we do have emotions. We are just not, we don't wear them on our sleeves as much. Um, we don't bring up things to our spouse because we feel like they're not on our team. But if you feel like the person is on your team, you're going to be much more likely to say, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. How can, can you help me with this or that? Or I think communication is huge here. Um, it, you can't let your feelings and your emotions fester and just boil inside um, it's good to communicate. It's good to be honest. Now, I think also in a marriage, you need to do this very appropriately. You know, there's a time and a place. There's a way. And to, you have to know your spouse well enough to know how to navigate that. Yes. Um, and that'll be different for everybody. Um, but, you know, when he first comes in the door from being gone all day, that's not the time for me to dump on him my emotional load. You know, there's a, there's a better time and place for that. Um, but just communicating, trying to be open with one another. I think men... Um, trying to kind of 
crack the shell and realize it's not um, an attack to your masculinity to let your feelings be known. It's okay to hurt or to even cry. It's your wife. Again, be on the same team. Let that be a safe place to be vulnerable. Um, but it's okay to be open and to share your heart. Hopefully you have the marriage where it vulnerability is a safe place. We went to a conference, um, but you may not even remember this, Brittany, but oh, you, you'll remember the conference, but we went to a conference called the rest conference. Um, and when we were there, one of the, one of the men, when he was, he was, we were in a session together and, um, when he was speaking, he said, I don't remember exactly what he said. He said something to the effect of you didn't marry yourself. And the, the idea there was that the person that you're married to isn't you and they're not always going to understand you. So you have to explain yourself or they're not going to know. Um, you know, I've heard it said by someone else, I, I don't know everything you haven't told me. So <laughs> yeah. that's really what it comes down to. Women are much more likely to tell. Um, and then they feel like they have to mine it out of us men. And that, that can be the case. And so it, for me, it has to, it came down to early on realizing I need to care enough to listen. And I also need to be vulnerable, be vulnerable enough to share on the reverse end of that. Brittany has figured out that there are times in which I am mentally more capable of those things. Mm -hmm. And those are the best times to reach out to me. So that's, you know, that's teamwork at its finest, I guess. But yeah, so the, the spiritual, the realizing that we needed to minister to one another's spirit, one another's soul, and one another's body as well. I think when we come to the idea of physical, obviously, our minds immediately go in one direction as a married couple, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, but I do think it's so important just to connect in little physical ways all throughout your day. Um, hold hands as much as you can. Let your children see you hold hands. Um, Simeon talked about how at church, we just have kind of set the rule with our kids that, hey, we sit together as a family. We worship as a family, um, but we try really hard. We, we got a slew of kids and we really need to like stagger them between adults to keep everybody quiet and in line. But we do try hard that mommy and daddy sit beside each other when it allows. Again, you know, we've got a lot of kids. Simeon preaches some services, um, but when we can, and especially before this season when he was pastoring, um, we tried to do that. Mom and dad sat beside each other. Um, you know, hugs, just pats on the shoulder. Hey, I love you. Um, you know, stealing away for a kiss behind the pantry door or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, all of those things. And you might think like, oh man, I don't want my kids to catch me. It's good for our kids. Yep, it is. To see that. They, the... I, time and again, I've just come across, there is nothing more... Nothing gives your child a better sense of security than knowing that mom and dad are madly in love. Well, you they're not going to see the they'll see some of the spiritual just from hearing the conversations. They'll see some of the mental and emotional side of things on occasion, but generally when they see that something bad's happening. Yeah. Right? They're not seeing the intimate conversation behind the closed door about something yeah, they're seeing know, the top emotional. of the roller coaster, not right. the spouses helping them get but back down it. They do have the opportunity to see the physical um, on a, you know, a more like a day-to-day -day basis, even simple stuff, putting the hand on the small of the back or a hug or, 
you know, anything like that. They they have the opportunity to see that in a different in a different kind of way. Um, and children are very physical as well, and that's why you know, the boys like to roughhouse and roll around on the floor and all that kind of stuff. Like that's that's totally normal to them. Physicality is you know that's basically the definition of love for a kid. Um, so it's good for them to see that the physical side of things as well, even just throughout day to day. And if they don't see that, um, then something's missing. And so we've, you know, I don't know that we've necessarily tried to do that. I feel like it's come fairly natural for us. Um, I like kissing you. (laughs) (laughs) And then obviously, you know, sex is a big one when you have physical, um, the aspect of things. And I think in our marriage, just trying to make that a frequent part of our marriage frequency probably going to look different for every couple and you know seasons are different we just had a baby it's different right now um but making that a big part of our marriage when we are more connected intimately on a regular basis i feel like that spills over into every other aspect of our relationship which then spills back over into the yeah, physical I think it's, and it's it just cyclical. It feeds each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cyclical in that regard. I think um one definitely feeds the other. If you're lacking in one area or the other, you know, I, sometimes it's when we have our most intimate personal discussions, it can feed our sexual appetite, but the opposite can also be true. Um so I think it's yeah, I think it's cyclical in that way. Um, I tend to be softer when we are more physically active. Um, I just feel like, yeah. And in so many ways, we just tend to be more connected to be more one. There's a reason why intended it. Yeah. There's a reason why Paul said not to defraud one another within a marriage. He wasn't even a married man and he, and he knew that, um, he said not to defraud one another. You don't use it as a weapon essentially is what he's saying. Don't use that physical aspect of marriage as a weapon to withhold it because you want something or you're upset. Um, you don't do that and it's not okay. And Paul said not to do it for that very reason, because if you're not, if you're withholding one of the three, the spiritual, the mental, the the spirit, the soul or the body, if you're withholding one of the three, it will affect the other two. Um, if I am withholding myself from Brittany, emotionally and in her soul she is lacking that it's and going to affect the spiritual for me yeah to yeah it's going to affect the ways. spiritual and the physical if you are neglecting the physical it's going to affect the spiritual and the soul if you're neglecting the spirit it's going to affect the soul and the physical it just is because the three are tied together you know just a i can't remember exactly what the statistics were but uh, a christian man posted a big long list of statistics. You remember me reading that huge long list of statistics to you about Christians. Um, but it said one of the many statistics that were in there was about, um, frequency of physical activity with someone speaking of sex. And it said that people, Christian people within a marriage have more sex than anyone else, which I find interesting, but that was the statistic. And I think there's a reason for that. Christian people within a marriage have a connection that runs deeper than non-Christian people within or without a marriage. We just have something that runs deeper than they do by default, by the fact that the spirit is engaged and the soul is engaged in a way that's much deeper. 
that we can connect with one another. And so that in turn is going to fuel the physical as well. So somebody, this was really a two-part question asking about the three best things you've done for your marriage. And then they took it to another step and said, what is the best thing you've done for your marriage specific to this season of littles? Um, I'll answer this one. We were talking about this before. In our season right now, which it'll definitely change as the kids get older, but since they are little, we put them to bed at seven. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, our oldest is seven, so sometimes, you know, we fudge that and she gets to stay up a little bit later. Um, But even so, usually the house is settling down at seven. Even if some of the kids stay up for whatever reason, they're in their rooms or they're somewhere reading. The point is, is that at an early time in the evening, our kids are pretty much settled themselves for the evening, which gives us several hours of time together before we go to bed. Um, And that has been a huge thing for our marriage. Really, like I said, specific to the season of littles. We're not going to make our kids do that forever. Um, And one day when they're teenagers, we're going to want those evening nighttime hours because that's when teens tend to need parents. Um, But right now, I think that has really been helpful because that gives us an opportunity um, to really invest in our marriage. And we'll, we'll probably touch on this in just a little bit in some of the other questions. I would um, say to set a bedtime for yourself. Um, we don't always follow this rule hard and fast, but in general, in bed is usually like nine, nine thirty, at the latest for us. Um, we try to be screens off all of that by nine. Yeah, you know, and generally we're in bed. Whether that means we're doing, sometimes we'll stay up and we'll play a board game or something, but. Um, generally we're in bed, even if we're together in bed, reading separately, we're, we're together, um, at that time. So even if you're not going to bed at that time, that's generally when we are in bed, um, and together. And again, it's not hard and fast. Sometimes we're not, but, um, for the most part, we tried to be at the kids go to bed at seven. That gives us a couple hours to get some things done if we have to, but we generally, we want to spend the evenings together. Someone asked about tips for keeping your marriage a priority. And that really kind of ties into, I think, all that we've been talking about here. Um, But specifically to this season and to the season of having little kids, having that early bedtime has been helpful because just the reality of us trying to get away, like as far as keeping your marriage a priority, if you have the opportunity at all, um, even if it requires some sacrifice, if you can get away, do it. We, I cherish the opportunities. Not that we don't love our kids. We love them. But it is good for a husband and wife, especially in the season of kids, to be able to get some time, just the two of you. You can have an uninterrupted conversation. You can have a good night's rest. You can enjoy each other um, with full energy. If you can do that, do it. We're in a season where we can't. Um, I think in the past year or so, we've had maybe three alone dates. Mm-hmm. It's just where we're at in the season that we're in. That doesn't mean that we can't date one another anymore. It means we have to get creative. So tips for keeping your marriage a priority. I can only speak for my marriage and my season, but that would be my tip is be creative in how you can get that one-on-one time. If our kids go to bed early every night, we could literally make every night a date night of sorts. You know, Um, we have to... When we're getting creative, we have to also abandon what our brain tends to think of as the traditional date. 
why do you go out to a fancy dinner? Is it to spend the time with your spouse or is it because you want to put it on Instagram or, you know, are you really wanting to spend time with them doing something that you both like, or you can do that at home. It doesn't have to be somewhere else. That doesn't mean you never go out, but we're in a season of life where it's, it is just horribly inconvenient and extra expensive to hire a babysitter or something. It is expensive to get babysitters. Yeah. I mean, especially we have five kids now that limits our pool of babysitters to draw from anyway. Um, But by the time you pay for the babysitter, the reality is for the majority of us, there's not leftover to go out and get a candlelight steak dinner. Yeah. Um, But we've found that, you know what? You can grill steaks at home. And they're just as good, if not better, because you can eat them in your loungewear. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, and there have been times where we feed the kids peanut butter and jelly for dinner. They go to bed and we break out the grill and have steaks. We have a fire pit at our house. We love sitting around that talking. Um, We love tea. We drink tea together. We read together. Um, You know, we play games. We have board games. You go out to a fancy restaurant and you pay $30 to $40 for a steak. Or you go to the store and pay thirty or forty dollars for a steak, but you get a way better steak for thirty to forty dollars. Yeah, so, or you get a family size pack for that. Much. Yeah, yeah. So even you may even spend the same amount on your date, but you're gonna get a better steak. You know, yeah. so long as you don't burn it or something. But I will post down in the comments um, a couple blog posts that I've done on games that can be two player games. So I know a lot of times when you think board game, you're thinking like, okay, a group. Um, but they're a lot of fun. To and I'll intercede. Have another couple over. It's a fantastic idea. Yeah. You know, that that's a great way to have a date night. And you know, date. especially if they have kids too, just let them all go smash one of the rooms <laughs> and you guys do something together. As long as it's at their house and not ours. Right? <laughs> um, okay. Did our marriage change after having our first kid? Uh, I think it did, but I think it did for the better. Yeah. Um, I think I, we were very unserious human beings prior to having... You know, one thing that I think is interesting is you can never really fully prepare to be a parent. You can't. I mean, some people say like, "Well, I don't want to have kids until I'm not selfish anymore." We're we're human. You will always be selfish. Yeah. Um, and even after you kids, you're gonna be selfish. But you you don't your world doesn't shift until your world is shifted. Yeah. Or the, the, the common, I can't have a kid. I'm still a kid. Well, yeah, of course you are. Like, but having kids make you grow up now. Like that doesn't mean that, you know, an immature selfish person should go and have kids. Um, but as far as our marriage changing after having our first kid, yeah, it changed. I mean, our, everything changed. It it taught, it taught us a lot, taught us a lot about dependence on one another. Um, dependence on the Lord. Um, you know, there's some very, very good lessons learned in there. Aside from all the stuff everyone's heard a thousand times. Um, I think it just, when we would look at the face of that little baby and realize that that was a product of the two of us and a blessing from the Lord. I think there's a dynamic change there where it's like, wow, this, this person physically ties the two of us together now. Yeah. I think on like a a love aspect, there is nothing like watching your husband be a dad or your wife being a mom. There is just something beautiful in that. And I think that's something that God in his infinite um, just design planned for the family. Yeah. And you've never, to my recollection, 
ever sabotaged my being a dad. And I've done the very best that I know how to not sabotage your being a mom. And what I mean by that is um, trying to make the other person you, if that makes sense. Like, I do things with the kids that are things that dad does with the kids, and that's okay. Like, you've never tried to step into those things or stop them. And you do things with the kids that are just things that mom does with the kids. Like, I think that's good and it endears you to them. But it also, to me, it's like that endears you to me because of the things that you do for them, you know? I know there is the concern when you have, especially your first, of all of a sudden the wife's priority is this human that is literally dependent upon her for survival and so dad can really take a back seat. Um, so there's always that that you need to be very careful of, that really the marriage does come first. And again, I the longer I live, the more convinced and the more reality, I guess, sets in of that life is lived in seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, to everything, there is a season. Again, going back to that word for word, God said that for a reason. Um, and you know, when, you, when you're in that, especially with your first, when everything is new, you have no idea what you're doing. Um, and like I said, I mean, the reality of a human being's life being dependent upon you, that is a weight. And so I do think that's a time where, you know, again, communication comes in here. The wife might just need to tell the husband, like, I'm not trying to forget you, but I am like totally overwhelmed with figuring out how to love and nurture and care for this baby. Um, but you, again, you've got to communicate through that. You've got to work through that. But marriage has to be priority. It has to be priority, even over your parenting. Um, and, but but the marriage trickles into the parenting. And that's what, the last thing I'll say here about this one is as far as like a groundbreaking shift in our marriage when we had a kid, other than just the normal, like, wow, we now have another human in our family. I don't think it really impacted our marriage until I can't remember how old Eden was. But I remember being at the dinner table and she was, I don't know, maybe like eight months old. But there was a moment where you and I both looked at each other and we were like, okay, I don't know what we've been doing up to this point, but that was not parenting. That was just <laughs> I think taking I sa- care of this human. I think the exact <laughs> thing I said is we just transitioned from maintenance to parenting. Yes, yes, you did. And it was like, wow, okay, we aren't just responsible to feed and clothe and bathe this person. We literally are soul shapers. God has entrusted us with that. And I think that is a, not necessarily in the moment it radically changed our marriage, but over the course of the 10 years, almost now that we've been married, that has really put us on a path of, wow, we have got to be step in step with the Lord individually and as a couple. Yeah. Because we have the souls of people that are depending upon a strong, solid God-founded marriage. I think part of this, too, is there is no human being on the planet who has more or who should have more of a shaping influence on your life than your spouse. It's not your parents. It's not your kids. Your kids help to show you your flaws. They help to <laughs> encourage you to seek help from the Lord. They help you in a lot of areas. Um, 
but they don't shape your spiritual walk quite like your spouse should. Um, and I say that, I say the word should because it doesn't always happen, but, um, God, when you said, I do, you got joined to another person, meaning your body, soul, and spirit became one with someone else. So everything that person does affects you, whether it affects you in a positive way or it affects you in a negative way. Everything that person does affects you directly. Um, your kids, however, are connected to you on an emotional level. They're connected to you on a lot of levels, but their every decision does not affect you, not in the same way that your spouse does especially once they grow up and they move out of the house and you're still married to your spouse, you know, and we've not gotten to that stage. Thankfully, we love having the, the babies at home. Um, but one of these days, if we've done our job, our kids will be grown. They'll grow up. They'll marry other people. They'll move out of our house. And all of a sudden, dad and mom are not going to have that big of an impact on them anymore. Someone else is going to have a much larger impact on them. So I, I think a lot of people overemphasize the impact that children have on a marriage. I think the biggest impact that children can have on a marriage is actually the physical portion of the marriage. Um, but the mental and the spiritual part, I think, actually gets much stronger, should get much stronger, because you become dependent more so on one another and less independent. And that's a good thing. Okay, um, we'll just try to wrap up here with just a couple things. One question we'll just touch on, and then a few other questions. I'm actually just going to reference previous podcast episodes that I'll link in the comments. Um, but someone said, advice for a couple struggling to accept an unexpected pregnancy. Um, I don't know that we necessarily have like personal advice. We have not had that happen. Um, we, have we had, had this one well, earlier than we expected. Yes, she was a surprise, but she was very much wanted and we were planning mm. on it just a few months after <laughs> she came along. Um, if it's an unexpected pregnancy, but yet it's still a wanted pregnancy, that's very different than all of a sudden, if you are kind of caught off guards as to like, okay, financially, Oh no, we're in trouble or health wise or, and, and there's a lot of things that play in here. Obviously if health is a reason, um, you know, that can be a struggle. Um, we fully believe that life begins at conception and that life comes from God and that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from him and that children are a gift from the Lord. Children are heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb, the fruit of the womb is his reward, right? So we have to think if God is the giver of life and he gave you that life, whether you expected it or even if you wanted it, um, we have to believe that God wanted it for you and God gives us what he knows that we need. And so if he gives you that child, he gives you that child. Now that might play out, you know, you might have to work through some things. Okay. How are we going to afford this? Or how are we going to navigate whatever your unique situation is? Um, but I really see in, in the tide of our culture, such a negative look on children. I mean, we have five kids. We get it all the time, everywhere we go. Oh my word, you have five? Yeah. yeah. Yes, we do. It's We're worse so here in Australia blessed. than it was in the States. Yeah, and then you say you're blessed, and they look at you like, mm, what planet are you from? <laughs> children are a blessing. They are a blessing, um, and we really need to see it that way. Well, I heard someone to say, you know, okay, fast forward 20 years down the road and look around your dinner table. Is there any face there that you would regret being there? And the answer is going to be no. You know, I mean, 
I look around at my family. I'm thankful for each one of us. I could not imagine, you know, Flora's only been here for a month and a half. I can't imagine life without her. She has immediately woven herself into the fabric of our family. Um, and, and that's how it should be. One thing I will say here, um, if it was an unexpected pregnancy and an unwanted pregnancy, like I said, we 100% believe from the Bible, life begins at conception. If you have those lines on the test, you have a human inside of you that God gave you. Abortion is never an option. No matter how desperate you feel, there are alternative routes. But ending a life is never the answer. Um, and that kind of leads us to to another question that we'll just briefly, briefly touch on because I know this is getting long. Um, but someone asked us on our thoughts on birth control, family planning, all of that. We did an episode um, goodness. And like the first year of the podcast, so way back in the archives, but I'll link it in the comments so you don't have to scroll forever. Um, but we did it on the truth of the birth control pill. Now this is like the hormonal birth control pill. I know there's a lot of different variants out there. Um, but this is the one that has abortive properties. It's the most typically prescribed yes. available contraceptive out there. Yeah. You go to the OB and ask for birth control and this is the kind that they give you. Um, since doing that episode, that episode was more from a moral ground, our experience with the birth control pill, what God taught us, um, from just a medical and health side, I have learned so much since that I would never get back on the pill and I would never encourage anybody else to actually, I would actually encourage you to do your research and get off it. If you're on it, it's not good for your body. Um, but I will link that one down in the comments. So as far as that goes, um, God brought us to a point where we realized this is not even something we're going to consider as far as controlling fertility. Um, so we take more of a family planning method, just naturally trying to track things. Honestly, really. We haven't um, had to in a very long time we, because we haven't, you've either been just, pregnant, recovering from pregnancy or yeah, trying nursing to get a baby. Pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we've, you know. I think there was one month that we had some weird insurance thing and we like couldn't get pregnant the month we wanted to, we needed to wait. So right, we, yeah. we family planned for a month. Um, but no, all that to say, you know, we haven't actively been doing this. I know there are some different resources on how you can track that naturally. Um, it, it gets easier and easier as more technology yeah. goes. I will also say a lot of the time people's biggest complaint about the pregnancy is expense or something like that. Um, if that is the problem, you know, we've, we've done a lot of content on budgeting and that kind of thing too, but there's a lot of resources out there. And also remember, God doesn't give you gifts that you cannot afford to keep. All right. So he will come through in whatever way that that needs to happen. He will. So I know when you come to birth control, family planning, all of that, obviously we're this missionary family that has five kids. So are we just going to keep having kids till kingdom come? And you know, here comes the Brazzles in their mini bus. Um, you know, you kind of have these two camps, like, you know, you either have just the perfect family of like a boy and a girl and you birth control, or you're like, okay, well, no, we're just going to natural family plan and we're going to end up with like 20 kids. What is the answer to that? Where do you fall? Okay. So we did say nothing abortive for us. And we do try to just, I mean, it, God gave us natural body signs that you can follow. You just have to learn. And I think educate. again, it comes down to stewardship. Like almost everything does, you are in control of your body, believe it or not. God did give you a brain to use it. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. Some would argue that there is, um, that if you're trying to take things into your own hand, that that's wrong. 
Um, no, I, I, would, I would disagree. God gave you a brain. He gave us uh, the ability to make determinations and see things. If you are literally going to go bankrupt because you can't, you can't the afford child. the kids you already have, you can't afford, you can't feed the kids you already have. You got a problem. But I also think too many of us are, we've got our Western brain on and we think we need all of these things that we don't need. Also, health comes into play. I knew a family one time, they had like 13 kids and her health with the last few pregnancies, I mean, her life was in jeopardy. Um, She survived, but the children had severe health difficulties. Disabilities and things, yeah. Um, you know, you, you think that through, I really feel like on this topic, my overarching answer is this is to be decided between a husband and a wife and God. This is something that you have to communicate openly together and you have to pray together and seek God's answer because I don't think anybody else has the place to tell you what your family should look like other than the Lord. Well, God gave you stewardship over everything that he gave you. That includes your body and your health, right? So that stewardship that God gave you was total over your body, and you are responsible for it. So if it is irresponsible for you to have another child, then you do everything you can to not have that other child because it would be irresponsible for you to do so. If God chooses to give you one anyway— then so be it, you know? But that, again, that doesn't mean that you don't steward your relationship with your wife properly. That doesn't mean you neglect one another physically. It doesn't mean that you dislike children, you know? Like, that's that's not what it is. But it also means that you know, 99% of us could do without a lot of things. If God gave us another child right now, there were things that we could stop doing. We could quit spending money and we could still afford to have another well, kid. Hopefully not right now. You know, well, not right now. Yeah. <laughs> goodness gracious. But, um, but the, the idea being, if we get out of our Western brains, we can afford so much more than we think we can. Um, so I don't think that is a great excuse for almost anybody. Um, but yeah, I mean that person that's got 13 kids and serious health problems and they're still having kids because they somehow think it's wrong for them to stop. I would say they don't understand stewardship because they have a stewardship of their body as well and their health and the health of the children that they keep having. That's, that's not good. And they're, they're, they're not making wise decisions in that case. So the last question is finding balance as a family between kids and marriage. And and I get this one a lot, I think, for ministry people. How do you find balance between ministry slash work, if you're not in the ministry, and family? And we just don't have the time to address that one here. We've really touched on this a lot in other podcasts. Um, but I, the most recent one that I think I would link to out down in the comments would be our family culture episode. Um, if you're struggling with finding balance and feeling, I, I don't feel like usually they feel like the family side is the one that's getting too much. Usually it's, you come to this asking for balance because you feel like the family side is lacking. Right. It's, um, it's never, you're spending too much time with the kids, right? <laughs> yes. So that family culture episode really, I, 
addresses this question well in just what is our overarching mission statement as a family? Break that down into, okay, get a culture statement. What truly matters to us as a family? And um, why why are we a family? Why has God put us together? What is the purpose that he's given us? And then working out of that. So if you have not listened to that episode and that is something that you're struggling with or you have a question about, go back and catch that episode. Um, I think that one is very helpful in addressing, you know, how we are a ministry family. How do we know what to say yes to? How do we know what to say no to? Um, Is it right to run nonstop and burn the candle at both ends to the neglect of home and children and ministry? I think the main takeaway from, there's actually two episodes that go together there, but I think the main takeaway from those episodes is the idea of making decisions before you have to make decisions, Mm -hmm. right? Say you already know you're going to say no to certain things. You already know that you're going to say yes to certain things. And that all comes from establishing priorities. Right. And priorities. And that's really what it comes down to is priorities. If you wanted to spend more time with your family, you would. I mean, I'm sorry to say it that way, but you would. Um, the only time you wouldn't is if, one, you don't know because you haven't taken the time to sit back and take a look at it, or two, you just don't know how. And so really that comes down to priorities. You've got to take a step back and take a look at what's going on in your life. And then that until you've assessed the situation, you, you can't even attempt to fix it. So you've got to take a step back and take a look at it. So we'll be sure to link down in the comments all the different things we've referenced throughout this episode, some other podcast episodes that would be helpful if you got the question on that thing, um, or just some of the different resources that we mentioned. But hopefully this answered some of your questions. I know this was a long episode. It was a lot to get to. I'm trying to talk tackle multiple different topics in one episode as a challenge. Um, but we didn't want to make it a two-part because we have some more exciting content coming on the next No Higher Calling Family episodes. Um, So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for sticking it out for this episode. We look forward to joining you next month. Thanks for listening. I hope that the No Higher Calling podcast has been a blessing to you. If so, please subscribe, share with your friends, and engage with me on Instagram at nohighercalling underscore. You can also subscribe to receive the No Higher Calling encouragement email on my website, which is www.nohighercalling.org. This includes podcast notes, what I'm reading, spiritual encouragement, a glimpse into my home, and some of my favorite products and resources. You can also enjoy more content on the No Higher Calling YouTube channel. I pray that this podcast will encourage you to fall more in love with Jesus and to be the Christian woman he's called you to be. Thanks for listening.